Good evening, everyone. So I've I've heard that um, I guess a couple people have said I may be loaded for bear, and apparently I have a, a reputation of being angry. Maybe when I speak or when I preach, I'm, I'm I'm not angry. I promise. I love all you guys, and the stuff that I preach about a lot of times are um, things the Lord's working on me in my life, and I'm a pretty hard-headed guy. So when he tells me something, he has to get kind of loud sometimes and hit me over the head and, and shake me a little bit and get my attention. So I guess that's probably why it comes across the way that I do sometimes. But I'm not an angry guy. I think most of you probably know that by now if you know me. So um, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, I told Tyler just a minute ago that I'm kind of piggybacking off of his, off of his message a little bit. Um, but I think it's kind of cool how the Lord works that out. And he's been speaking to me about something. And, and I had almost gone to the pastor and asked if I could preach at some point that I kind of had something that's been on my heart, been on my mind, and been thinking a lot about it. And, and I, hadn't, I hadn't gone to the pastor yet about it and said anything. And he texted me yesterday and said, hey, you want to preach on Wednesday? I was like, sure, I'm ready to go. Well, I'm sorry it's such short notice. You don't even understand what just happened. <laughs> The Lord answered my prayer and, and took care of the thing before I even had to say anything about it. So um, this has been something that's been weighing on my heart. Like I said, um, things that I preach are things that the, word, the Lord is working on me in, uh, in my life. And it's not anything that I have uh, nailed down and, and uh, anything that I'm perfectionist at or, or professional you know, at, at all these things. And I'm just preaching it and telling everybody that they need to get their hearts right or whatever. It's something the Lord's working on me in too. So um, in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. There, um, we've been we've we've heard a lot about this verse, um, a lot about this passage. Um, we sing it a lot in our um, uh, scripture songs. Um, pretty much every Sunday night, we end up singing this song, and and uh, it's really been weighing on my on my heart and my mind to kind of study the verse out and and kind of some of the things leading up to it and stuff. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, let's start actually though in verse twelve. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight. I have a lot of it written down here. I showed, I showed my notes to Kinsey over there. I said, okay, you preach this. And he's like, yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty much, it's just a lot of Bible reading. So I'm going, to, I'm going to be in the Word of God a lot tonight. But uh, if he's not speaking, then what are we doing here? So I'm just going to read his word. So Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. So I want to stop right there. Again, very familiar passage here. Um, we know what was kind of happening. Um, well, most of us are familiar with this is uh, part of the dedication um, of the temple that Solomon had just finished uh, building for the Lord. And um, the Lord, uh, he had prayed a prayer um, to the Lord, and the Lord, this was the Lord's answer to Solomon's prayer. And um, verse 14 is the one we're all, again, familiar with. And uh, Myself, when I read through this verse, I mean, I've heard it. I've been in church my whole entire life. I've heard it a lot. And um, I can breeze through this verse. I have it memorized. I can sing it. I can, whatever you want to do, I, you can hear it in song. You can hear it. I can just spout it out to you, whatever. But when I actually start to break this down, 
it, it really started to speak to my heart and, and really started to c- convict me, honestly. It, so I'm just going to read through it here and, and kind of take it in little chunks. If my people, that's me, which are called by my name, I call myself a Christian, so I'm called by his name, shall humble themselves. Okay, I can humble myself. I can, I can get down on my knees and, and pray and seek my face. Okay, I'm good there. I can do that. I'm, I'm so far so good. And turn from their wicked ways. I like to glaze over that part because I know for, for myself, I like to try to excuse my sin. I don't like to be confronted with it. I don't like to, to say, man, this is something I need to deal with. It's, it's more a lot of times when I'm going and even when I'm hearing a pastor preaching or somebody preaching a message about something, I'm trying to make excuses already in my mind and why it's not really that big of a deal. Why it's not, you know, okay, maybe, maybe it's not really you know, that big of a deal that I watch that movie or that I listen to that music or that I do whatever it is. Fill in the blank there for your own pet sins, I guess. Um, I just kind of breeze over that. Well, nothing that I do is really wicked. I'm not, I'm not homosexual. I'm, uh, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. You know, I'm not any of those things, so I'm not really wicked. I mean, yeah, I do things wrong. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's our famous excuse for, for writing off our sins. But these were the people of God that he was talking to here. This was a, uh, this, these were people that were called by his name, just like we, we claim to be. And he says, turn from your wicked ways. Let's, let's look at the last part of here. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. Is that what we need? Do we need God to hear our prayer from heaven and to heal our land? Is our land going through pestilence? Has he sent pestilence among the people? The locusts devouring the land. I mean, how many, how, how many of you have gone to the store recently and your dollar bill doesn't go as far as it used to? You're just talking about something like that. The locust is devouring our land. The pestilence, there's, uh, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain. You guys paying attention to the news? I mean, people are begging for rain. Drought is happening all around us. All of these things are happening to us. And we look around and we say, it's because our land is wicked and all of these things. He's not talking about all those people. He's talking about my people. He's talking about, he's talking to us. And if we need to see these changes that we like to, to pray for and that we like to talk about and we want to, to see in our land, then it's up to us to do these things. And like I said, a lot of times we're good with the, okay, I can pray and I can, I can get on my face and I can seek his name, but my wicked ways, I'm going to hold up now. I like this thing. I like this thing that I do here, and it's not really that bad. And, and then, so I kind of wanted to look a little bit and get a little bit of background first um, about how this verse came about um, and the dedication of the temple and so on and so forth, and look a little bit about Solomon's life. Um, up to this point in Solomon's life, everything was going pretty well. I mean, he had prayed God, prayed to God early in his life and asked for wisdom. God gave him the wisdom. God gave him an opportunity to build him the temple, gave him an opportunity to experience all the wealth and all the things that he experienced. Um, so let's kind of take a look here. Let's uh, turn to kind of the, uh, I can't remember what you call it, the mirror passage or whatever, First uh, Kings chapter 9. Turn back to First Kings chapter 9. And I want to take a look at Solomon's life. I'm going to try to be, uh, be quick about it. Um, and actually, this part here, we're going we're gonna to go back a little bit further. But 1 Kings chapter 9 is basically exactly the same thing that, was just, that we just read in verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building of the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. 
And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou, walk, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever as I have promised to David thy father, saying there shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all... Turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people. And at this house which is high, every one that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why, hast, why hath the Lord done thus unto the land and to, his house, to this house? And they shall answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. Now, I didn't read the whole part in Second uh, Chronicles, but he basically, that's verbatim, almost verbatim from Second Chronicles. God says the same exact thing there. Um, like I said, it's kind of a mirror image. Well, um, we get a little bit more detail about Solomon's life. I kind of wanted to look at where Solomon started at. Because it was a pretty uh, amazing thing, the, pray, the prayer that he did, and, and when he dedicated the temple, I would say Solomon was on fire. He was on fire for the Lord. He, he had a zeal for God. He wanted to do the right thing um, for, for God. He, was, he, was, he had right intentions. He had a good start. So um, let's flip back just a couple of chapter or just a chapter here to First Kings chapter 8. So um, in verse 1, well, I'm just going to skip down to verse 4. So what's, what's happening here is the, the temple had been built. All of the stuff was put inside the temple, and they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant inside of the temple, which is a symbol of God's presence inside the temple there. So verse uh, 4 here says, And they brought up the Ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon... And all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his, unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. Uh, skip down to verse 10. And it came to pass when the priest were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built thee an house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel, and all the congregation stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spake with his mouth unto David my father, and hath with, and hath with his hand fulfilled it saying, and, and he continues on there. So we see here that Solomon started out well. He started out with good intentions. He, he started out and he was doing a good thing. He was building a house for the Lord, something that David asked to do. David, who was the man after God's own heart, asked God if he could do it. And God said, no, I'm going to give that to your son to do. You've, you've had a lot of war and a lot of things going on, and I don't want you to build it, but I'm going to allow your son to do that. And Solomon fulfilled that. He fulfilled the prayer of his father. And he started out, and, and look at what he said. It says, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for a multitude. 
Solomon started out on fire with a zeal for God. It wasn't just, uh, I'll give him one or two sheep. They, they couldn't even number them all. And not only was Solomon doing it, he led the children of Israel. He led the congregation of Israel in doing the same thing. So they were, he, he was being a good leader. He was doing what God had told him to do. And he was fulfilling those things that, that he was supposed to do. And so he started out on a good path. And a lot of times in our lives, we start that same way too. When we first get saved, we experience what we experience with God, and we're on fire for God. We want to go out and tell everybody. We want to go out, and we want to do things for him, and we want to, to do the best that we can all the time, and we want to lead as many people in the right way, and so on and so forth. And then over time, something starts to happen. And, and over time, we start to lose that zeal. We start to lose that, um, the uh, desire to serve the Lord so the beginning of that of God's or of the relationship with Solomon kind of here is this is kind of the most public thing that kind of happened in front of or excuse me between Solomon and God in front of the nation of Israel. This was a big deal. I mean, this was a huge deal. They just built this giant ornate temple for God. They brought the Ark of the Covenant in there. God came down and filled up the the temple so that they couldn't even minister. They had to get out. They couldn't nothing. They couldn't do anything. And basically, was showing God was showing his that he was pleased with what Solomon was doing. He was giving him his blessing. And so we kind of see that this, he started out well. He started out um, on the right path. So um, let's go to, uh, let's see what happened here. And uh, let me see. i got to follow my notes, which I or may not be as neat as some may, may desire them. Um, so what, what happened with Solomon? Did, did his life end up that way? Well, we all know that Solomon ended up, you know, having 700 wives and, you know, 300 wives and 700 concubines. And, uh, and his, his, the end of his reign was not near as illustrious as the beginning of his reign, right? And it ended up, his son ended up losing the kingdom because God said, I'm going to allow you to stay as the king. The kingdom's not yours anymore and your family's not going to be around anymore. But I'm going to let you do it because of what I promised your, your father, David. So the end of Solomon's reign was not anything like the beginning of it. Well, what happened? Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 10. Something got in the way. Something got in the way in Solomon's life and took his eyes off the Lord. Um, I'm going to actually, excuse me let, me, let me skip around here for a minute. I want to go to, real quickly, to Romans chapter 15. I'm, I kind of almost have two messages here. So I'm going to take you to this other part here, and then we're going to come back to Kings. Um, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, real quick. I'm trying to tie this all back to us. How does this apply to us? How do we apply this to our own lives, to our lives individually, to our lives corporately as a church? And so I want to kind of tie all this back together that way. So Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So we're supposed to be learning this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. This is why, we're, this is why I, I'm, I wanted to look back at some of these things because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at the maybe mistakes, the good things, the mistakes, all of the things that, that everybody has gone through before us. That's the why God left us his word. Um, that's why he leaves us here, so that we can share our testimonies with others, um, and it's for people, other people to learn. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12 says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, or in samples, 
and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Tying that back into to my thoughts about Second Chronicles, a lot of times I get that mindset, I think I'm in a good place. I'm not wicked. I'm not, not as bad as the next guy, or whatever. So I'm kind of, uh, but the Bible says, take heed. You, that you think you're standing, you're going to fall, you're going to fall on your face. And I bet, I'd be willing to think that Solomon, in his own mind, thought he was in a pretty good place at this point in his life. Look at all the things that he had accomplished, look at all the stuff that he had done, and, and so on and so forth. Well, so what got in the way? Well, um, if we look in chapter 10, still in 1 Corinthians, um, we can see there were some things here. And let's start in verse 6. It says, Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now think back to Solomon's life. Which one of these things do you think that maybe got in Solomon's way that caused all the problems in his life? I've, uh, I've kind of narrowed it down to one specifically. Uh, I think he had a problem with, uh, part of it was verse 7 there. said, neither be idolaters as were some of them. So what was, uh, what was Solomon's idol? Okay, if you, that's kind of a bold statement to, to be able to point out Solomon's sin or what you think it is. So let's look at, let's look at proving that. Uh, look at uh, a lot of times when we think of idols nowadays, we think of things like uh, wealth, your job. I, we're talking about this a little bit in uh, the adult Sunday school. We're, we're studying some of this stuff. So I went around the room and, and I was asking everybody, so what do you think of as idols? Wealth, job, people, um, items, stuff, you know, whatever. All these things can be idols. So Let's look at, see if we can identify the problem in, in Solomon's life in chapter 10 of 1 Kings, verse 23. We all know that Solomon had untold wealth. It was crazy. He had people coming and visiting him just to see how much that he actually had and, and the magnificence of it. And verse 23 of chapter 10 in 1 Kings says, So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. It doesn't seem to me that Solomon really idolized those things. I don't, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where it said that because of his wealth, he turned away from God. Because of all the stuff that he had, that he turned away from God because of that. I don't see it anywhere in there. And I, I studied it out and I looked and, and it's not in there. So a lot of times, like, like I said, we may place uh, wealth as an idol. Uh, uh, the success of the world is something to be achieved. And that's what we're going to put in front of God. Because that's what an idol is. Uh, we all understand, most of us, I would say, understand that anything that is put up in front of God that we can put before God is an idol to us. It's something that, that we need to get out of the way. God hates that the idolatry, and, and he warned us about it. So, well, if it wasn't wealth for Solomon, what else was it? Look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Zidon. Zidonians and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the children of Israel, you should not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon claved these in love. 
and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. So I got that backwards earlier. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wife turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. So, obviously, the thing that God, or the thing that Solomon put in front of God, was his wives, was was women. He put that in front of God, and, and he started to, and that started to turn his heart. And I want you to notice real quick in verse. Let's see, in verse 4, it says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. It didn't happen when he was a young man, and it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just, uh, you know, you've heard the story, and, I, and again, I think I mentioned this in the, in the Sunday school class downstairs, it's the story of the frog, right? You can't throw a frog in a pot of boiling water, he's going to jump out. But if you put him in a cold water and you turn the heat up, he'll sit in there and, until he cooks, Right. That's kind of the same thing that Solomon did. It wasn't, an, it wasn't an immediate, here comes all these wives, poof, and, and all of a sudden I'm going to go start building all these temples and, and high places and all this and worshiping other gods. It was something that, that, uh, that happened over time, and it happened when he was old. I'm not going to say that I'm old because I don't feel old, but I'm probably older than some, so we'll go with that. So, but, but we run into that danger when we do reach a certain age, when we do, that we get comfortable we get comfortable in, in maybe even in our wrongdoing. We get comfortable because we've learned enough of Scripture and we can work our way around through it and excuse it just enough and, and feel just enough good about it. And I'm going to do this over here and it'll outweigh this over here. And, and we know that we're not supposed to outweigh the good and the bad and that's not a way to get to heaven. Okay, that's easy. But a lot of times that's what we do. We say, okay, I do this over here, so it's okay if I indulge in this over here because I may make it up for it over here. And, and that's what we do. And, and again, Look at what happened in Solomon's life. When he was old, well, when you're old, you're supposed to be kind of set in your ways and stubborn and so on and so forth. Well, Solomon was old and, he, and his heart turned away from God because he got comfortable with the wrong things. He put his focus on the wrong things and turned his heart to the wrong places. Now, what idols do you have in your life that are turning your heart away from God? What is it? Is it your job? Is it people? Because his was, a, his was women. It was people. He, he put people ahead of God, a person, a female, in, in his instance. But we can put mom and dad. We can put our pastor. We can put anybody. You, can, you, you name it. You can put people in the place of God. And a lot of times the danger of that is that people will turn your heart away from God if it's not the right person. And, and anybody that you put between God is going to turn you away from him. Because if you're following after a man, you're following after the wrong thing. Because men are going to make mistakes. Men are going to fall on their face, they're going to sin, and then you're going to be standing there looking around like, oh, wait a minute, he just did that, now what is that? where does that leave me spiritually? Where does that leave my Christianity? Well, you got your eyes in the wrong place. And, and uh, we were looking in um, Exodus, and we'll, we'll come to this here in a minute, um, but in Exodus, the children of Israel got their eyes on Moses and put him in a position over God, and even so much as they said, this man Moses, which brought us up out of Egypt, is gone, and we don't know when he's going to come back, so let's build us an idol so that we can follow after something. 
they got their eyes in the wrong place. They didn't say God brought us out of Egypt. They said Moses brought us out of Egypt. And so while Moses was a leader that was put there by God, they got their focus on the wrong thing. They got their focus on a man instead of God. So what is it in, in our lives that we're putting ahead of God? Is it a person? Is it your job? Is it wealth? Because we've seen people do that. Um, the, the rich ruler in, uh, um, in the Gospels, and I can't remember where it is right now, but he... Um, he went to the Lord and uh, he said, "Well, how, how do I? How do I? How can I be saved? You know, how can I? How can I live? Uh, how can I be your disciple?" And God said, "Go sell all that you have." And he turned away and he and he went away sad, sorrowful. It doesn't say that he got saved because that wealth was something that he was going to put in front of God. It, that was that was that man's idol. This was Solomon's idol. What what is your idol? Is it your job? Do you spend more time at your job and more time focused on that and sending out those emails and making those deals and making those arrangements than you do witnessing at work, than you do studying your Bible at home, than you do explaining the Bible to your children at home? Which one do you put first? Do you put the job first or do you put God first? God left us here um, as parents especially to, to pass down the knowledge of him to our children. And what are you putting in front of God because your children see it? You can put on a good show to everybody here in church. You can put on a good show because I'm there Sundays and Sunday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I work in the bus ministry, and I'm a Sunday school teacher and all this and that. And you can put on a good show, but there's people that know you, and most of the time it's your children. They know who you really are. They know, who, they know where your idol really is. They know what you go home and what you turn on after you leave church service. They know what you spend most of your day on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when you're not around church. They know what you're doing. Um, they can tell you, I, I guarantee you, you could go to a lot of kids in here and they could say, you could say, hey, what's mom and dad's favorite thing? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you if it's church. They'll tell you if it's TV. They'll tell you if it's football, hunting, whatever it is. They'll be able to tell you. And a lot of times they could probably put the finger on what it is that we're worshiping in our life. You know, with, uh, with idolatry, always comes sacrifice of something. Um, God, every God, and, and our God, requires us to sacrifice. Um, God calls it our reasonable service, that we present ourselves, our bodies, a living sacrifice. He expects sacrifice. Well, all these false gods expect sacrifice, too. What are you sacrificing to your false god? You sacrifice in your time? You sacrifice in your money? You sacrifice in your, uh, your testimony? Because a lot of times we'll do that. We'll, we'll go out and we'll do a bunch of stuff and act a fool in front of somebody and totally ruin our testimony because well, we were just chasing after our idol. We were just, we were just doing that. So what is, it, what is it that's in your way? We can, it's pretty easy to pick on Solomon and say, man, that dude was messed up, man. He had all those wives and he totally went off the deep end and started worshiping five, six other gods and, and started building up temples and sacrificing and doing all this crazy stuff. Man, that guy was messed up. I would never do that. Hmm. You may not build a little altar. You may not have a little statue that you're kneeling down in front of, but I guarantee you there's things that you've put in front of God. I know I have that I've put in front of God, and God's spoken to me about and said, hey, you need to get rid of that because that's drawing your attention away from me. And our attention, if, if we want God to, to heal our land, he says turn from your wicked ways. That's one of the wicked ways is that idolatry. That's one of the things that he mentioned that was written for our learning, for our admonition, and he said, you need to get rid of these things. And that's why I kind of went to um, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to go back there again and kind of look through some of these. Because he said, turn from your wicked ways. 
Well, what was the children of Israel's wickedness that they were involved in? Well, he very conveniently gives us a list of that in 1 Corinthians, that the whole nation of Israel as a whole, they all, um, they all went after these things. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians for a minute, and we're going to take these kind of one at a time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to do some flipping back and forth between 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at what was stated here, and then we're going to go back into the Old Testament and see exactly kind of a little piece of the story or whatever. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, let's take number 1. Now these things are, are examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, you can turn there or you don't have to, I'll turn there. Numbers eleven four to 6 says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. They were lusting after things of the world. And think of, that, think of what they were lusting after. We had it better in Egypt. They were crying out for 400 years, God, send us a deliverer. Save us from this bondage. Get us out of here. This is, this is not where we were supposed to be. We were your people, you know, begging God to get them out of there. And now all of a sudden, things get a little bit tough, and they start looking back at the world and say, man, it was nice to have that fresh fish all the time and, and eating that garlic and onions and whatever. I mean, I, some of the food choices are a little bit strange to me. But it was, it was something that, that, had their, that had their attention, right? And it was something that um, God calls it out and says, here's something that you need to stay away from. Don't be lusting after the world. Don't follow after the things of the world and think, hey, that's, it's better back there. Because what does it do? It keeps you in bondage. It keeps, you, it keeps your eyes closed to the things that are going on around you. It keeps, you, it keeps the blinders on you. Let's look at the next one, idolatry. In verse 7, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play in Exodus chapter 32, again in verses 4 through 6. He said, and he received them at, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. This is after the people were bringing all their earrings and gold and stuff and they brought it to Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, a lot of times I know, again, in, in my life, I like to look at that and say, Well, pff, I've never made a golden calf. I've never done anything like that. I'm good. I, I don't have a little statue. I don't pray to Mary. I don't have a shrine in my house. You know, all the things that we can excuse in our minds. And again, I, I've already touched on this, but, but there are plenty of things that we put up in front of God. Look at, what, what, look at what they said. Look at what Aaron said there. He said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That thing had nothing to do with bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Right. Nothing at all. Just like your pay raise at work had nothing to do with getting you to the position that you're at now. That was all God. The Bible says specifically, it is he that giveth the power to, give, to get wealth in Deuteronomy, I believe it is. And so we like to look at, look at what we did. Look at this. I live comfortably now, and I have a nice house, and I have a nice car, and this and that. And, and look at all the things that I did. You didn't do that. I mean, 
Okay, that was a, that's a political statement, right? You didn't, you didn't build that. No, well, actually, you know, there's some truth to that. If it wasn't, up, if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have anything that we do have. And, and for them to look back, and we, we, we see it foolish, right? I mean, that little golden calf wasn't even there. God parted the Red Sea for them, and they walked across on dry ground well before that golden calf was ever there, well before they peeled their earrings off and, and actually made the thing, right? So it kind of seems ridiculous, but it's the same thing with us. We get our eyes on the wrong things, and we say, well, look at this. Look at what this has done for me. Look at what my job has done for me. Look at what my wealth has done for me. Look at what this person has done for me. All, any of these little idols that we like to put up in front of God, and we get our eyes in the wrong places again. Let's look at the next one in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. In Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 through 3. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this point, but uh, I'll tell you this much. Um, again, we can, we can offer ourselves excuses and say, well, I'm not involved in that sin. I'm not a fornicator. Mm, what do you watch on TV? Because what you watch on TV, what you put in front of your eyes, you're responsible for that. God said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. You're responsible for what you watch on television. Is there adultery on the TV show that you like so much? Is there, is there um, sex before marriage on those things that you like to watch? Um, men, what are you watching in your house? Well, it's just, it's just video. It's, just, it's not that big of a deal. The Bible says if you've looked on a woman to lust after, if you've committed adultery, you are responsible for what you put in front of your eyes, and you can't excuse it. And God calls it wickedness, and he expects us to address it if, he, if we want to hear from him. If we want our land healed, if we want our, our land turned around from where it is right now, then he expects us to leave the wickedness that we've put in front of ourselves. Uh, next one in chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again, verse 9. It says, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Um, Exodus chapter 17. Tempting Christ, what does that mean? I mean, how can you even tempt Christ? What, what, what does that even mean? I can't tempt him. I can't make him do anything. Hmm. Well, how about testing him and saying, Lord, if you do this, that'll prove that you love me. If, if you'll give me this, this job then that'll prove that you're God. How about uh, if, you, uh, if, if I can just get this new car, then, then I'll know that, that you love me and I'll know that you're God and that you're real. That's what, it, that's what they were doing here. Look in uh, Exodus 17, verses 2. It says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And then down to verse 7, He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Lord, I'll believe in you if you give us a new building. If, you, if, you, if, you'll, if you'll do this for us, then, then I'll surrender. I'll surrender to the call to preach if you, uh, you, know, if you, if you make, my, make it to where I can have a free college, to, free, uh, college and seminary or, or whatever it is. We, we offer all these conditions to God. I'll believe in you. I'll do what you want me to do if you do this, if you do that. 
No, God wants you to get, get on the ball and start doing what he's called you to do. And then you'll see that he's God. And then he'll start to work. And then he'll start to do these things. And again, God, God calls this stuff wickedness. He doesn't, call, he doesn't write it off as something, just a little sin. You just need to, okay, guys, you need to just, just take care of this a little bit and, and, and it'll be okay. No, it's wickedness. These things that, that we do in our lives is, again, tempting God and testing him. I mean, who are we? We're the creation. How in the world can we look at our creator and say, prove it to me? Pr- prove me that, you know, prove that you love me by doing this for me. We, we get the wrong idea of God in our mind. Exodus chapter 21, verse 5 and 6. Sorry, that's not the right one, and I don't know what it is, so we'll just go with what, what I just said there. Let's go back to First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, and look at the last one here in verse 10. It says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. How many of us like to murmur? Okay, you got all the rest of these good. You don't lust after the world. You don't have idol, idols. You're not fornicating. You're not tempting God. What about this one? How many of us like to murmur, like to talk about each other, especially here in church? We like to talk about, and a lot of times it involves us being better than the next person. Well, look, did you see what they were wearing? Did you see what they're doing? And, and trying to compare each other or compare ourselves to them. Look in Numbers chapter 16, though. Let's see what the children of Israel were murmuring about. They murmured about all kinds of things. They were, there was no lack of uh, things to talk about with them, I guess. But specifically here, look at verse uh, 41, Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell on their fa- upon their faces. Now what had just happened here? Well, Korah had just tried to lead some sort of a rebellion, some sort of a revolt, and God opened up the earth and swallowed them alive. And, and that was pretty serious, right? I mean, that was, a, that was a pretty big deal. Well, look at what they're doing here. Look at what the children of Israel are murmuring against. They're murmuring against Moses and blaming him for it. These people were rebelling against God's leadership, God's authority. They got what was coming to them. God punished them and decided he was going to take them out immediately right then on the spot. And Moses, Moses gets the blame for it and says, well, Moses, look what you did. Look what you did. How many of us will look at a pastor's decision that he makes from the pulpit or that he makes for our church or whatever and say, well, I don't think that was the right decision. Probably wasn't a good idea. And then we don't just keep it to ourselves. We like to go and talk around about it with each other. Or we say it in front of our wife in the car in front of our kids, and then our kids go and tell their, their friends that guess what my mom and dad just said. And that's how things get started in our church. God was angry with these people and he, he said, get you up from this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. That's how serious he was taking the murmuring against the leadership that he had put in place. But we like to do that. We like to do that, and we don't think it's a big deal because we're still here. God hasn't showed up and swallowed us up with the earth or, or opened up a hole in the earth and swallowed us up. God hasn't shown up, and the cloud got so thick, and all of a sudden you hear a voice and says, get out of the way. I'm getting ready to take these people out. Well, that hasn't happened with us, but God still ta- is the same God. He still takes it just as serious now as he did then. But now he shows us mercy and expects us to get these things right. Again, we read this verse 
Um, go back to Second Chronicles, and you don't have to go there. I'm sure, like I said, most of you know it. Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I encourage you to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and look at your own life and go down that list and compare your own life and see which ones that you need to get out of your life because every one of us have things we need to get out of our lives. Every one of us, none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived spiritually. We all have things we need to get a hold of in our lives and things that not, not just the little small petty things that we need to, okay, I'll, I'll work on that, whatever. No, God calls it wickedness. And if we want our prayers to be answered and we want to take seriously the, the fact that our country is in the place that it is now, it's there because we have not done what we were supposed to do. We've excused our wickedness and called it, oh, just a little bit of, uh, it's just a little pet sin. It's just my little pet sin. And we've made a cute little out of it and whatever, and God calls it wickedness, and he calls us to get rid of it, to get it out of the camp, to remove it. Look at what he did to the children of Israel back in those days. Tens of thousands of people at a time were killed with pestilence and, and taken out and swallowed by the earth and destroyed by serpents and all of these things that God sent to them, and yet we look at them and we involve ourselves in the same sin, and we just say, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It'll be okay. God's not going to do anything for us. He's just going to this stuff keep on continuing the way that it is unless we get serious about what he's called us to do. And he's called us to get rid of the sin out of our lives. We want revival. We talk about how we want revival all the time. That's step number one. Because if you have wickedness in your heart and in your life and you're just holding on to it and you're hiding it, he doesn't have to hold up his end of it. Because it says, if my people, which are called by my name, then I will hear from heaven. So we have a responsibility to do something for him, and then he'll show up. So we need to get all of these things taken care of in our life. We need to get all of these issues that we have taken care of, and then we need to hit our face. And then we need to, to ask for, uh, for him to do things in our lives after we've done what we're supposed to do, after we've corrected our relationship with him. Again, back to Solomon's life. Again, it's, it's really easy to look at it, and, and we can compare our own lives. I know... Um, we can, we can look back and compare our own lives. Man, we started out on fire for the Lord, and all of a sudden we started to turn away, and we started to, to go in a different direction or whatever you want to call it. We started to turn our back on God. Well, we need to stop. Let's stop right now and figure out what's causing that. Why aren't we on fire for the Lord anymore? What idols have we set up in our lives? What pet sins are we hiding? Uh, how have we tempted Christ? Who are we murmuring against what are we lusting after? What do we have our affections set on? We're supposed to have our affections set on things above, not on things of the earth. And where are our affections set? Um, again, this is not something that, uh, that I feel like I have nailed down and that I'm anything worthy to be even preaching this. But it's something that the Lord laid on my heart. And uh, so I was just going to be obedient to that. Because, again, there's things in here that he's called me to, to get rid of, too. And so that's something that I need to work on as well. So let's, uh, let's pray. That's all I have. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed.